It was late May back in 1999 when I was out sharing my faith with students there at the University of Texas. And after approaching one young man, I asked him what he knew about Jesus Christ. In response, well, he attempted to avoid the conversation, and he informed me that he was heading downtown to go party, and so he really didn't have time to consider such a convicting conversation about Jesus Christ. And to that, well, I immediately shifted the conversation by asking him if he had had the chance to see the recently released Star Wars Episode One. He quickly confessed that he hadn't, and yet he was hoping to go see it as soon as he possibly could. And then he asked me if I had seen it, and well, I had. And so I spent some time sharing some of the highlights from the film. And after presenting him with my quick critique, which included uh, a complete criticism of Jar Jar Binks, I then wrapped up my movie review by insisting that Misa thinks the movie wasn't so good, But without hesitation, you know, I shifted his attention then back to Jesus Christ. And I did this by asking him, if Star Wars and the Bible are both stories that belong to the category of fiction, then why was he willing to take the time to talk about one while attempting to avoid the other? I elaborated on the question by asking, if both... Jesus Christ and Jar Jar Binks are both fictional characters. Well, then why was he only experiencing a conviction of sin when I talked about Christ Jesus? Sadly, he didn't have a rational response to my questions. And instead, he simply walked away with the same irrational rejection of Jesus that he had when we first met. And as we consider this conversation, it's important for us to understand that The world is actually filled with people who are rejecting Jesus and for irrational reasons. As we study the scriptures before us this morning, we'll begin to see that some people reject Jesus because of an irrational delusion. Secondly, we'll learn that some people reject Jesus because of an irrational religion. Thirdly and finally, we'll learn that some people reject Jesus because of an irrational passion. Well, with this as the outline, let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 23. Here we find Christ Jesus. He's actually continuing to create controversy there in the courts of Pontius Pilate. And as you make your way to the 23rd chapter of Luke's gospel account, well, I want to take a moment to put our text back into its context. It'll first help us to remember that we've actually spent several weeks now looking at Luke's account of the night when the religious leaders of Israel surrounded our Savior there in the Garden of Gethsemane. And after arresting him, they led the Lord into the courtyard of the high priest where they pretended to prove his guilt. And from there, they brought him before a Roman ruler named Pontius Pilate, and it was there where they called for the crucifixion of Christ Jesus. I'll remind you, they presented Pilate with a long list of false accusations, and yet Pilate still knew that Jesus was innocent. And with all this context in mind, let's pick up our study of Luke chapter 23. We'll begin reading there at verse 13. Here Luke writes, Then Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people, said to them, You have brought this man to me as one who misleads the people. And indeed, having examined him in your presence, 
I have found no fault in this man concerning those things of which you accuse him. No, neither did Herod, for I sent you back to him, and indeed nothing deserving of death has been done by him. I will therefore chastise him and release him, for it was necessary for him to release one to them at the feast. They all cried out at once, saying, Away with this man and release to us Barabbas, who had been thrown into prison for a certain rebellion made in the city and for murder. Now I want to stop right here. I want to take some time to consider Pilate's judicial decision regarding Jesus Christ. I'll I'll direct your attention back to verse 14. There again we learn that Pilate had examined the Lord in the presence of the people. He interrogated him there before all of these people. And after conducting his own interrogation, Pilate assured them that he found no fault in the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only that, but Pilate also appealed to the official decision of King Herod. I'll remind you, it was in our text last week when we learned about the way that Pilate learned uh, that Jesus was a Galilean. And at that point in time, he sent Jesus to King Herod. And King Herod determined uh, that the Lord Jesus had done nothing deserving of death. And here we find Pilate uh, appealing to King Herod's decision. Also, you should know that there was also a warning presented by Pilate's wife as he was presiding over this trial. Luke doesn't tell us about this, but it's in Matthew chapter 27, it's verse 19, where the apostle Matthew tells us that Pilate's wife sent to him saying, have nothing to do with that just man, for I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. Now we aren't told if this dream was some sort of spiritual vision from the Lord, or if this was just the daydream of a woman who was disturbed by the rumors that she had heard regarding the trial of Jesus Christ. But either way, Pilate's wife was encouraging her husband to remove himself from this judicial decision. And with that being the case, well, we shouldn't be surprised to learn here that Pilate did everything that he could to do just that. I'm guessing that Pilate was smart enough to realize happy wife, happy life. But seriously, Pilate did everything he could to appease the religious rulers there uh, by, uh, you know, promising to scourge him while attempting to avoid killing an innocent person. As a matter of fact, look with me again there, Luke 23, verse 16. Pilate here declares, I will therefore chastise him and release him. And then Luke parenthetically includes this, that it was necessary for him to release one of them at the feast. Now here in these verses, we find Pilate, he's attempting to appease these religious rulers there in Israel, and he does this by promising to scourge our Savior, and yet at the same time, he's also trying to release our Redeemer according to this annual custom by which he would release one political prisoner according to the request of the people, and it was a way of celebrating the Passover feast. Well, in order to ensure that the people of Israel would choose the Lord Jesus to be released, Pilate presents them with an option that would be a complete no-brainer to any rational person. As a matter of fact, it's in the, it's in the Gospel of Matthew where Matthew actually presents us with more details about Pilate's plan here. It's Matthew 27, beginning at verse 15, where Matthew tells us that it was at the feast when the governor was accustomed to releasing to the multitude one prisoner whom they wished. And at that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas, Therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? Now from this, we can see here how Pilate was trying to release the Lord Jesus, and he did this by presenting them with a choice. And the choice was between our miracle-working Messiah 
and a notorious prisoner named Barabbas. And just to be clear about this guy, Mark tells us in his gospel account that Barabbas was actually a murderer, that he had actually committed murder during some sort of rebellion or, or insurrection. Therefore, Pilate here is presenting them with the choice between our sinless savior and a murderer. You want, you, you want the sinless savior? Do you, do you want the faultless Christ? Or do you want this murderer to go free? And to his surprise, well, the religious leaders had been paid off by George Soros, and so they called for the murderer to be released. As a matter of fact, if you would look with me again there at Luke 23, we'll begin reading at verse 18. Here again, we learn that they all cried out at once, saying, Away with this man and release to us Barabbas, who had been thrown into prison for a certain rebellion made in the city, and for murder. As we consider the way that they all cried out at once as they called for the release of this murderer, uh, we do well to realize that this wasn't just some idea that was organic. No, we find the religious rulers convincing the crowd to call for the release of Barabbas. As a matter of fact, it's in Matthew chapter 27 where we learn, and I quote, the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. Why? Oh, no rational reason is given. They just persuade the people to call for the release of a murderer instead of Jesus Christ. And as it turns out, well, this was all because they were envious of the Lord's influence. Matthew confirms this. In the 27th chapter of his gospel account, it's there where he tells us that when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, whom do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who was called Christ? For he knew that they had handed him over because of envy. It was because of envy. That word envy was translated from a Greek word, which is used of those who have a disgruntled desire to diminish the influence of others by attempting to destroy their reputation. That word envy also speaks of the spite that fills the hearts of those who are struggling with jealousy. And as we consider the meaning of this word, there should be no doubt that the religious rulers of Israel, they were rejecting Jesus Christ simply because they had an irrational envy of the Lord. Simply put, it was their jealousy of Jesus that led them to despise the ministry of our Messiah because he was getting more attention than they ever had. And in order to further grasp their irrational rejection of our Redeemer, I want to consider a messianic prophecy that the prophet Isaiah presented about 800 years earlier. If you would hold your place here in the Gospel of Luke, and let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Isaiah. I'd like you to turn to Isaiah chapter 53. As you make your way to the 53rd chapter of Isaiah, I just want to take a moment to point out that the religious leaders of Israel, they didn't have a rational reason for rejecting Jesus. To prove my point, I want to take a moment to remind you about the ministry of our Messiah. You see, our Messiah wasn't going around Israel committing crimes. No, instead, Jesus, he healed the sick. He restored the sight of those who were blind. He cast evil spirits out of demoniacs. He fed those who were hungry. He prayed for babies. He resuscitated the lives of a few people who had died. And while I'm sure that we would all agree that these miracles of our Messiah must have been wonderful to witness, 
Well, the reports of these events didn't excite the religious leaders. No, instead, it filled the religious rulers of Israel with jealous rage. They were upset because of the ministry of our Messiah. Because the multitudes were going after our Messiah. And they were jealous. They were envious. And it's for this reason that they embraced the irrational delusion that they must destroy the ministry of our Messiah. With all this in mind, I want to consider how Isaiah describes their irrational rejection of Jesus. And so if you would look with me here at Isaiah chapter 53. I want to begin reading there at verse 1 where the prophet asks, Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Therefore, your Malibu Jesus painting is wrong. Okay, I I added in that last part. But there in verse 3, Isaiah declares he is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Here in this messianic prophecy, we learn about the way in which the Messiah would be despised and he would be rejected. And just to be clear, the word despised there, it's translated from a Hebrew word which was used of those who revile another with complete contempt. And just as Isaiah had foretold, the religious rulers of Israel fulfilled this prophecy because they had nothing but contempt for the Christ who came to save us. They despised him. Why? Because of their irrational delusion that Jesus didn't deserve the attention that he got. Rather than receiving our gracious Redeemer, they decided to embrace their irrational delusion, which led them to the conclusion that they must reject the one who came to redeem them. And it's in similar fashion that there are many unbelievers in the world today who are rejecting Jesus, and not for a rational reason, but because they've also embraced some sort of irrational delusion of things. For example, I remember witnessing to a guy once who quickly expressed his contempt for Christ Jesus. I mean, he was angry, angry that I would suggest to him that Jesus is the only Savior. Completely bent out of shape, just disgusted by the idea that Jesus might be the only way. Listen, if you're upset at the thought that there's only one way of salvation, let me suggest to you that we don't even deserve one way. We don't deserve one way. I'm surprised that God provided a way of salvation. And you want more? There are people who are offended unless you tell them that all the religions are are equal ways up the same mountain. And, And if you try to tell them that Jesus is the only way because he's the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by him, they're offended. Why? Because they're living under the delusion that they should just get to choose any way to God. It's irrational and it's delusional. And that's how this guy responded. Just angry with me that I would even suggest that Jesus was the only way. So I asked him what Jesus had done to him to make him so mad. Why was he so offended at the name of Jesus Christ? 
Was it because of his miracles? Was he upset with Jesus because Jesus healed the, the, the sick? Uh, was, it, was he mad at Jesus because he had fed the, the poor, because he had kissed the babies? Was he mad at Jesus because he taught incredible things like love your enemies and do good to those who spitefully use you? Is that the part that made him mad? Was he mad at Jesus because Jesus stepped in and took his punishment? After presenting him with a snapshot of our Savior's earthly ministry, I asked him to present me with the reason for why he was so offended at the name Jesus Christ. And when all was said and done, his rejection of Jesus was just based on an irrational delusion that he should just be able to get to choose whatever path he wants to come before God. In light of this example, it's important for us to understand that the world is filled with unbelievers who are rejecting Jesus because they've embraced some sort of irrational delusion. And just to be clear, listen, the word delusion refers to a fixed false belief that is factually in conflict with reality. A delusional thought is is a thought that a person is firmly believing despite the fact that reality is something different. Their thoughts don't correspond to reality and yet they are convinced that what they believe is real. It's important to understand that delusional beliefs are held by those who are quick to reject any evidence to the contrary of their point of view. And while it's true that there is an incredible amount of evidence that Jesus is our risen redeemer, there's still an innumerable amount of unbelievers who are rejecting Jesus Christ because they've embraced an irrational delusion that fails to correspond with reality. While some people reject Jesus because of an irrational delusion, many more reject Jesus because of their irrational religion. To explain what I mean, let's make our way back to the 23rd chapter of Luke's gospel account. I want to pick up our study of Luke chapter 23. If you would look with me there beginning at verse 20. Here Luke writes, Pilate therefore wishing to release Jesus again called out to them, But they shouted, saying, crucify him, crucify him. Here again, we find Pilate. He's trying to release the Lord Jesus. And for all the reasons that we've considered so far, remember, uh, Pilate knew that Jesus hadn't done anything deserving of death. Secondly, he knew that King Herod had come to the same conclusion. Thirdly, his wife encouraged him to release Jesus because of some dreadful dream that she had about him. And fourthly, he also knew that the religious rulers were motivated by an irrational envy. And so it was for all these reasons that Pilate was wanting to release him. But rather than allowing Jesus to be released, well, the people convinced, you know, the religious rulers ended up convincing the crowd that they needed to call for the crucifixion of Christ. And to prove my point, I want to consider the account that we find in Mark chapter 15. It's here where Mark tells us that the chief priest stirred up the crowd so that he should rather release Barabbas to them. Pilate answered and said to them again, what then do you want me to do with him whom you call the king of the Jews? So they cried out again, crucify him. Then Pilate said to them, why? What evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, crucify him. From this we can see how the chief priests were not only stirring up the crowd by convincing them to call for the release of Barabbas, but they also convinced the crowd to actually call for the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus. 
It's incredible. And when Pilate stops and asks them for a rational reason for why they were calling for Christ's crucifixion when in fact he had done nothing deserving of death, they they didn't offer him a rational explanation. No, instead they simply cried out all the more as they continued to demand the death of our Redeemer. It was at that point in time when Pilate tried to appease the angry mob by simply scourging our Savior. Now, with this as the focus, I want to take some time to consider the Apostle John's account because it's in the Gospel of John where we find the religious rulers of Israel. They're presenting Pilate with their reason, if you can call it that. They had one reason for requiring the crucifixion of Christ Jesus. And with this as the focus, hold your place here in the Gospel of Luke and let's turn in our Bibles to the Gospel of John. I'd like you to turn to John chapter 19. As you make your way to the 19th chapter of John's gospel account, well, I want to take a moment to remind you that the religious leaders of Israel, they, they actually had a religious reason for why they were uh, rejecting Jesus Christ. And they had a religious reason for you know, why they were calling for his crucifixion. It's actually here in John chapter 19 where we find them briefly presenting Pilate with this religious reasoning. As a matter of fact, look with me here at John chapter 19, beginning at verse 1. Here we learn that Pilate took Jesus and scourged him, and the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe. Then they said, Hail, King of the Jews, and they struck him with their hands. Pilate then went out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no fault in him. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Therefore, when the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, You take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law. And according to our law, He ought to die because he made himself the son of God. Well, now here we get down to it. It's here in verse 7 where we find the Jews presenting Pilate with their religious reason for why capital punishment was being required. And just to be clear, you know, they're appealing to the law. They're, they're, They're appealing to an Old Testament law or maybe a few laws. For example, you know, it's in Leviticus chapter 24 where Moses writes, whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall certainly stone him, the stranger as well as him who is born in the land. When he blasphemes the name of the Lord, he shall be put to death. It's possible that they were appealing to this law as they called for his crucifixion. And under Roman law, they they couldn't carry out capital punishment on their own, so they had to ask Pilate for this permission to crucify him. It's possible that they were also appealing to Deuteronomy chapter 18. It's verse 20 where Moses informs the people that the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. So again, as we consider these Old Testament laws here, there's no doubt in my mind that the religious rulers of Israel, they were appealing to one or maybe both of these judgments as they called for the crucifixion of Christ Jesus. And and while they were certain that their application of these judgments was completely justified, what they were failing to realize was that Jesus wasn't guilty of breaking those laws. And the reason why is because he is the son of God. 
when he claimed to be the Son of God, he wasn't lying. When he said he was the Christ, he wasn't engaging in blasphemy. It wasn't blasphemous for Christ Jesus to agree that he is the Christ. It wasn't blasphemous for him to claim to be the Son of God because that's who he is. So it wasn't a crime for Christ Jesus to come and speak in the name of God the Father because God the Father sent him to come and speak as our Savior. Sadly, the religious rulers of Israel, they didn't take the time to actually think this through rationally. They didn't take the time to, to go through the logical process of saying, well, if he is the Son of God, then he's not being blasphemous. So is he? Let's investigate this. Nope. They didn't want to investigate it. They didn't want to know the truth. Because they had an irrational religion to protect. Rather than rationally considering the claims of Christ, they spent their time looking just for a reason to condemn him. And the reason why is because their irrational commitment to this religious system that they had created from the Old Testament scriptures. They were so committed to their religious rituals that they couldn't see that their Savior, who is promised in the Old Testament scriptures, was standing right before their very eyes. Therefore, they rejected the relationship that they could have had with their Redeemer. And the reason why is because they were too busy protecting their position by continuing to promote their religious system of Judaism as they called for the crucifixion of this one claiming to be the Son of God. You know, in similar fashion, that there are many religious leaders in the world today who are also rejecting Christ Jesus because of some irrational commitment to a religious system. To prove my point, I want to consider the warning that Paul presents to the church in Corinth. And so if you would uh, hold your place here in the Gospel of Luke, and let's turn in our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And as you make your way to the 11th chapter of 2 Corinthians, I just want to take a moment to point out that the world is actually filled with many religious systems that present us with another Jesus. Much like the religious rulers of Israel, you know, there are religious leaders in the world today who are rejecting the Jesus of the Bible. And the reason why is because they've blindly embraced a false Messiah that they are now presenting within their teachings. For example, you know, the religious leaders of Mormonism are actually worshiping a Jesus who they believe to be the brother of Lucifer. That's true. That's right. The Latter-day Saints believe that Jesus is the brother of Lucifer, and they believe that God the Father was once just a human who progressed eternally to become a god, and then, and then the Father eventually came and had a, a physical relationship with Mary, uh, and then Mary gave birth to the Son of God, as they claim, a human Jesus, who then also progressed to eventually become a god. That's not the Jesus in the Bible. That's another Jesus. And as they present this Jesus Christ in their teachings, they are simultaneously rejecting the Jesus that we find in the Bible. Same is true for the religious leaders of the Jehovah's Witnesses. You see, uh, the leaders of the Jehovah's Witness group, uh, they're convinced that Jesus is Michael the archangel. And this despite the fact that Paul in Hebrews chapter 1 asks, to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son? The answer, none of them. And so when the Jehovah's Witnesses teach 
that Jesus is Michael the archangel, they are simultaneously denying the Jesus of the Bible. What about the religious leaders of Catholicism? They are worshiping a Jesus who they believe continues to be crucified at every mass, believing that the wafer and the wine turn into the literal body and blood of Jesus Christ as the, as the sacrifice continues. And, and this is despite the fact that the Jesus of the Bible on the cross said, it is finished. But it's not finished in the Roman Catholic Mass. And when the leaders of the Roman Catholic Church tell you that Jesus is there in wafer form, they're simultaneously rejecting the Jesus that we find in the Bible. The religious leaders of Islam present us with a Jesus who didn't really die on the cross. And in so doing, they're simultaneously rejecting the Jesus that we find in the Bible who most definitely died on the cross and rose from the grave on the third day. As we consider this short list of pseudo-saviors, it's important for us to realize that all of this is nothing more than irrational religion that rejects Jesus Christ. And with all that in mind, I want to consider the warning that Paul presents here in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. If you would begin with me there at verse 1. Here, Paul declares, Oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly, and indeed you do bear with me. For I am jealous for you with godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. As we consider this word of warning, it's crucial for every Christian to realize that there are religious leaders in the world today who are preaching another gospel which is no gospel at all. And much like the religious rulers of Israel, they've embraced an irrational religious system which has led them to reject the true Jesus that Paul preached in his epistles. And as a result, they're now presenting people with a false religious system which is centered around a faith in a false Jesus who does not exist and therefore it's a Jesus that, that cannot save. The Lord Jesus even warned us about this in Matthew chapter 24. It's verses 23 and 24 where he declares, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ or there, do not believe it for false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Christian, listen, there are false teachers in the world today who are preaching another Jesus. And in this way, they're not only rejecting the true and living Lord, but they're also leading people into an irrational religious system which is centered around a Jesus that doesn't exist. And with that being the case, well, we shouldn't be surprised whenever we meet those who are rejecting a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the reason why is because they've been led astray with irrational religion. Some people reject Jesus because of irrational delusion, while others reject Jesus because of their irrational religion. Thirdly and finally, I want to consider how there are some who reject Jesus because of irrational passion. With this as the focus, let's make our way back to the 23rd chapter of Luke's gospel account. 
I want to pick up our study of Luke chapter 23, beginning there at verse 22. Here we learn that Pilate said to them the third time, why, what evil has he done? I have found no reason for death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. But they were insistent, demanding with loud voices that he be crucified. And the voices of these men and of the chief priests prevailed So Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they requested, and he released to them the one they requested for rebellion and murder had been thrown, uh, for uh, who for rebellion and murder had been thrown into prison, uh, but he delivered Jesus to their will. Now, here in these verses, we find these religious rulers continuing to call for the crucifixion of Christ Jesus, and according to Luke here, They were insistent. They demanded with loud voices that he be crucified. I like the way that the scholars who created the New Living Translation rendered verse 23. Here's how they put it. The mob shouted louder and louder, demanding that Jesus be crucified. And their voices prevailed. In other words, the crowd continued to cry out with loud voices until Pilate finally gave in to the prevailing pressure. And in this way, we can see how their irrational passion ended up winning the day. To grasp my point, I want to uh, take some time to consider Matthew's account of this moment. And so if you would, let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 27. As you make your way to the 27th chapter of Matthew's gospel account, I just want to take a moment to point out that when I talk about passion in this context... I'm referring to that intense emotion that, uh, or, or that driving feeling that tends to override our ability to think reasonably. Oftentimes we have a passion about something that keeps us from actually thinking rationally about the very thing we're passionate about. And while the person who's driven by their passion will attempt to justify their intense emotions, uh, the fact is that our, our, our passions can oftentimes render us completely irrational. When it comes to the unbeliever, listen, many are rejecting Jesus because they're just following their feelings. They're they're following their irrational passions. With this in mind, I want to consider how the religious rulers there in Israel, they allowed their irrational passions to result in the murder of our Messiah. Let's consider the account that we find here in Matthew chapter 27. If you would look with me there, beginning at verse 20, here the apostle tells us that the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said to them, which of the two do you want me to release to you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, what then shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? They all said to him, let him be crucified. Then the governor said, why, what evil has he done? But they cried out all the more saying, let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that a tumult was rising, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. And all the people answered and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Here in these verses, we find the chief priests and the elders of Israel 
passionately persuading the multitudes to continue calling for the crucifixion of Christ Jesus. And as the multitude began to transform into this angry mob, Pilate realized that he had to appease their irrational passion. It's for this reason that he agreed to crucify Christ Jesus, simply to avoid a full-blown riot. And with that being the case, you know, Pilate here was quick to insist that the innocent blood of Jesus would be on their hands and not on his. He took the water and he washed his hands. And, you know, I appreciate that, but what Pilate was failing to realize is that Jesus didn't just die because of the religious rulers there in Israel. Jesus died for all of our sins. Jesus died for the sins of the world. And so ultimately, his blood is on all of our hands. Thankfully, he died on the cross so that we could be forgiven. And those who trust in him are completely cleansed from the stain of our sin. But Pilate here is just attempting to show that he he wants nothing to do with this decision. And in response, the religious rulers and the people passionately accepted the blame for this unjust execution of our sinless Savior. As a matter of fact, if you would look with me again here at Matthew chapter 27, I want to consider their irrational passion. Look with me again at verse 25 where we learn that all the people answered and said, His blood be on us and on our children. How incredible is this? These people were quick to impute the guilt of this decision, not only on themselves, but also upon their children. Clearly, this was nothing more than irrational passion. They didn't stop for one moment and consider that maybe we're wrong and maybe we're cursing our kids right now. No, they weren't thinking through this at all. They were quick to curse their own children. And the reason why is because they got caught up in following the feelings of, the, uh, of this mindless mob that was just caught up in the moment here. And it was all just all passion and no ration. In similar fashion, you know, there are many in the world today who are rejecting Jesus Christ because of irrational passion. To prove my point, I want to take some time to consider what the Bible says about the irrational passions that result in the rejection of Jesus Christ. For example, it's in Romans chapter 1. There, Paul refers to the vile passions that lead people to suppress the truth in their unrighteousness. They're suppressing what they know to be true about Jesus Christ. And the reason why is because they've given themselves over to their vile passions. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul also refers to those who are walking in the futility of their mind. And it's for this reason that their understanding has been darkened, even to the point of spiritual blindness. And as a result, they've given themselves over to lewdness so that they can continue working all uncleanness according to their greediness. Summing all that up, Many unbelievers reject Jesus because they're given over to their irrational passions that result in spiritual blindness. Not only that, but those who have given themselves over to their irrational passions will oftentimes begin to try to convince others to follow them down the same path of destruction, you know, like blind leaders of the blind. 
And one reason why is because the person who is traveling on this, on this broad road that re- leads to destruction, you know, uh, the minute they feel any kind of conviction, well, they want other people to come along with them so that they don't feel so convicted anymore. You know, if, if we're all going in the same direction, then I shouldn't feel bad about this, right? If I can convince enough people to agree with me, if I can conv- convince the world to applaud me in my sin, then I don't have to consider that I'm really wrong. And it's sad to say that there are many who end up following the crowd down that broad road that leads to, a dis- to destruction. And the reason why is because the unrepentant unbeliever loves darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds are evil. That being the case, the Apostle Peter described this popular path as a flood of dissipation, which results in the riotous revelries of those who are living for their irrational passions. Sadly, the zeitgeist of our modern era has captured the minds of the multitudes, and it's for this reason that more and more people are rejecting our Redeemer for irrational reasons. And just to be clear, it'll help you to know that the word zeitgeist, it refers to the defining spirit of a particular period of history, which is seen in the popular ideas and beliefs of that time period. And as we consider the defining spirit of this age, the zeitgeist of our world, Well, it's easy to see that most people are now being motivated, not by reason, but by irrational passions. Oh, they say they love science, and yet the reality is they only agree with the science that backs up their irrational passions. Proof of my point can be found in the the fact that people would rather silence the voices of those they disagree with. For example, you know, rather than considering the basis for biblical morality by examining the historical evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ, those who have embraced the spirit of this age would rather just label conservative Christians as haters. If you post, you know, something about the morality that we find in the scriptures on your social media, it won't take long before someone is calling you a hater. Well, wait a minute. If there's evidence that supports the resurrection of Jesus Christ, then Jesus must be who he claimed to be. And if Jesus is who he claimed to be, then his standard of morality is true. And if his standard of morality is true, then when I condemn this as being a sinful thing, it's not because I'm a hater, but rather because I'm just simply telling you what's true, what corresponds to reality. But they don't want to get into that debate. Nope. They just want to label you a hater to silence your voice. Well, that's not rational. That's not a rational rejection of Jesus. No, instead, this is nothing more than an irrational attempt to silence the voices of those they disagree with. Well, let's debate the ideas. Let's let's get into the evidence. Nope. They don't want that. As we consider this example, it's sad to say that the spirit of this age has actually been defined by the irrational passions of unbelievers who want you to just agree with them or go away. Not being the case, it's crucial for every Christian to realize that there are those, even in the church today, who are now being deceived by the passionate arguments of those who are preaching doctrines of demons. And as a result, there are many who have been led astray. And the reason why is because they just don't know what the Bible says. Why don't they know what the Bible says? Well, because they've decided to go to a church where the pastor gets up and reads one verse from the Bible and then just tells stories the rest of the time. 
And so there's complete biblical illiteracy happening in many churches across the, the world. And so Christians don't know what the Bible says. And so when someone comes along with a passionate argument about, about why we need to stop thinking in these, in these old sort of ways, you know, because it's 2022, like that's an argument. You know, it's 2022. So what, reality changed? The, the, the reality from the first century when Jesus walked the earth, the reality has changed since then. And so now it's 2022 and so we have to throw out, you know, anything that was once true because it's no longer true. Well, based on what? It doesn't make sense. It's not rational. If something is true and corresponding to reality, that thing was true at the beginning of time and it'll be true at the end of time because that's the nature of truth. But they'll come and say, well, it's 2022 and it's time to, time to do what? Think irrationally? And yet many Christians are embracing irrational beliefs just because someone came along with a passionate argument. And if this sounds like something that you've been struggling with, then I encourage you to embrace the instructions that Paul presents in his letter to the church in Rome. It's actually Romans chapter 12. There, Paul declares, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your irrational service. Oh, wait, no, that's not what it says. He says, this is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Christian, listen. Those who have embraced the irrational passions of popular opinions, they're going to try to convince us that we need to set aside our commitment to Christ so that we can conform to the spirit of the age because it's 2022. And with this as the goal, they present their point of view with great passion as they uh, attempt to stir up the crowd, and, and then they begin to apply the pure pressure necessary to press us into the now socially acceptable mold. And with that being the case, we would do well to follow the instructions that Paul presents here in Romans 12. Notice again in verse 1, Paul declares, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Paul here is helping his audience to understand that the most reasonable thing that any Christian can do is to simply live a life of self-sacrifice and for the glory of God. And while it's true that many unbelievers will try to convince us that this is just a ridiculous waste of time, Paul assures us that this is the most rational decision that anyone can make. And the reason why is because those who are presenting themselves to the Lord as a living sacrifice are actually living a life that is acceptable to God. We're living a life that corresponds to God's design for our life, which is the most reasonable decision we can make. That being the case, we should also follow the instructions that are found here in Romans 12, verse 2, where Paul declares, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Listen, rather than being conformed by the irrational passions of the unbelievers around us, Paul encouraged his audience to be transformed 
Don't be conformed by being pressed into the mold of, of, of what the world considers today to be socially acceptable. No, be transformed by the renewing of our mind. In other words, rather than allowing unbelievers to brainwash us with their irrational reasons for why they reject Jesus Christ, we should instead allow the truth of God's word to renew our minds. And we do this by allowing his holy word to correct our point of view. You know, you know throughout my 25 years as an unbeliever, I developed many irrational ideas along the way. And it took the washing of water with the word of God to begin to fix those irrational beliefs. And God's still doing that work. I know what you're thinking. Bungie, you're almost perfect. I get it, you know, but, but not quite yet. The word of God has been changing my point of view since the day of my salvation. And, and, and we need to continue to allow the word of God to fix our irrational beliefs, to, to begin to just take away the fire of those irrational passions so that we can think the way that God thinks, rather than allowing the world to conform us into its image, let's be transformed by the renewing of the mind that happens when we study the word of God and apply it to our lives. Now, as we begin to wrap up this study, I just want to take a moment to remind you that those who are rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ are rejecting Jesus for irrational reasons. They're irrational reasons because they're reasons that don't correspond to reality. And so they're irrational and illogical. Now, as we've seen here in our text today, you know, some people reject Jesus because of a, an, an irrational delusion. Others reject Jesus because of an irrational de, uh, religion. And, and, and then there are those who reject Jesus because of an irrational passion. But regardless of the reason for rejecting Jesus, it's all irrational. That being the case, we, we must strengthen our own faith in Christ so that we can reject their irrational reasons that they use to try to conform us into their mold. And not only should we reject their irrational reasons for rejecting the Lord Jesus, but we should also take the time to present them with the rational reasons for receiving Christ Jesus as our Redeemer. Now, it's possible that that plan might seem a little bit overwhelming to imagine getting into a debate with somebody, presenting them with rational reasons for following Jesus Christ that might give you, uh, you know, heart palpitations. Maybe it gives you a little bit of stress to think about. But with that, I would remind you that the God who created reason is the God who also promised to provide us with the wisdom we need so that we can present people with rational reasons to follow Jesus Christ. And, and so whether you're well-studied in apologetics or not, you can move forward in faith knowing that when you set out to share your faith in Jesus Christ, the God of reason will give you the wisdom you need to share your faith with them. With that, I, I, I remind you, God has promised to provide us with everything that we need to accomplish his great commission. And in this way, he will help us 
to reach every irrational unbeliever so that we can help them to understand that the most rational decision that anyone can make is the trust in our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Let's pray.